The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for being here and giving me the privilege of spending this time with you. want to start off the show like I do every week by saying hello and thank you to one of our sponsors, the McLemore, which is a fantastic community resort and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on Lookout Mountain. And folks, please go online to themclemore.com, and McLemore is M-C-L-E-M-O-R-E. So themclemore.com, and check the place out. It's a wonderful place. Everything about what they have up there is top-notch. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley has said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest named it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why they say that by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. Okay, on to tonight's show. And my first guest is going to be one of the top PGA professionals who also happens to have his doctorate in applied sports psychology, and that's Rick Sessinghouse. Looking forward to talking to Rick about the power of the mind and getting his help on how we can improve our mental approach. You probably know that Rick has been coaching Colin Morikawa since Colin was eight years old. We're going to talk about that and how they got together. Colin has had an amazing first calendar year on tour, including winning the PGA Championship back in August. We'll talk about that as well and look forward to all the things that Rick is going to help us with. He'll join me in a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from longtime good friend of the show and Champions Tour player Paul Stankowski. You know, I was looking back at how long Paul has been joining me here on the show, and tonight's going to be his 11th appearance. He first joined me back in June of 2014 on episode number seven, and tonight is episode number 311. So he's been a great friend for a long time. He recently made his Champions Tour debut at the Pure Insurance Championship at Pebble Beach. We'll hear about that. Plus, what you've got to go through in order to go out there and play on the Champions Tour. It's not like every player gets to be Phil Mickelson and just turn 50 and go out there and play. So we'll hear about that as well. Looking forward to having Paul back on the show. He'll join me 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from PGA Class A teaching professional Jack Deal. Jack has been a teaching pro at some beautiful courses all across the country. So we'll talk about what it's like playing in various regions, from the differences in how hard the ground is, how wet it is, playing on different types of grasses, making the adjustments to the thickness and humidity in the air, and then what impact does that have on club selection when we're trying to play in those kinds of varying conditions. 
Looking forward to having Jack back on the show. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You know, I always like to start off the show by saying hello to my friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence and reminding you about their great golf shows. Mitch's podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways. If you love golf and travel, there's no better podcast to marry those two things than this show. Mitch and his co-host Darren Bunch are going to let you know about great places you can go stay and play around the U.S. and Canada. Also going to let you know about some of the courses that you might not be aware of. You can stream their podcast over on GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Again, folks, if you love golf and travel, their show needs to be at the top of your listening list. They do such an outstanding job. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. I try never to miss an episode, and if I do, well, thank goodness it's available as a podcast by going online to WLXG.com. Matthew's a fantastic host. He's got a lot of great guests, including our friend Perry French at the top of the show most weeks. Again, you can stream his show live by going online to WLXG.com or downloading the WLXG app. Tune in, folks. I know you're going to love the show. And folks, this segment of this show is brought to you by TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X Golf Balls, played by Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. Now, I know you know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X, and now it's available in high visibility yellow. Are you next to make the switch? Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now joining me here on Next on the Tee is Rick Sessinghouse. One of the things I know you know about Rick is he has been Colin Morikawa's instructor since Colin was eight years old. But let me give you a little bit more information about Rick's background. He played his college golf at California State University at Northridge, earned his doctorate in applied sports psychology, and is known as golf's mental coach. He is an expert in the mindset principles that make or break performance on or off the golf course. He's been a PGA professional at Shoal Canyon Golf Club and Valencia Country Club in Valencia, California. He's written a wonderful book titled Golf, The Ultimate Mind Game, which you can find on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. He's the founder and CEO of Sessinghouse Performance Systems, which he founded back in January of 2000. He's also a peak performance speaker, and I'm very honored he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rick, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Chris. You know more about me than I know. (laughs) <laughs> that's my job my friend i gotta know my guests better than they know themselves but i'm uh i couldn't be more excited to have you here tonight rick and um when i get a first time guest on the show i always like to kind of go back to the beginning with them to understand you know how did you first you know start playing golf who put a golf club in your hands when did you first fall in love with a game of golf Sure. Yeah, I played a ton of other sports. Uh, I grew up in Burbank, California, and played all these other sports. A buddy of mine took me up to a local nine-hole golf course called the Bell Golf Course, and without any lessons, he just let me borrow his clubs. We played nine holes, and I don't know, I probably shot high 60s for nine holes, but I'm this 12-and-a-half-year-old who just at that point go, wait a second, I thought this game was supposed to be easy. The little white ball just sits at you and looks at you. Uh, I play all these other sports. You're moving around. And so I was, I was hooked pretty early. And then after I let some of the other sports go by, I became super serious when I was about six. I uh, didn't play much junior golf, actually. Played on the high school team. 
And then from that point forward, you know, I was obsessed with it. And I was fortunate enough to walk on at Cal State Northridge, uh, played Division One uh, there. And after that, started my coaching career after, after graduating. But uh, just fell in love with everything about it because, as you know, it's just this game that looks like you can master it. And uh, I'm still working on that myself. Yeah, aren't we all? Uh, and Rick, to your point. You, you talked about being an all-around athlete, playing a lots of lots of different sports, and I think that's one thing a lot of kids lose out on these days. I mean, you got travel baseball, you know, kids just focusing on one sport, really not getting the well-rounded background that uh, that you certainly had in playing different sports. Talk about how that helped, you know, your overall golf game by being so whether that's coordinated eye-hand control, you know, ball control, that sort of thing. How do those other sports help you? Uh, get so good at the game of golf yeah no I think that's a, that's a great point because I know there's a big there's a big debate in in golf you know specialization when it should happen for juniors so on and so forth but I was fortunate that you know playing tennis and baseball was great for hand-eye coordination but also for my ability to use my hips properly rotationally which I was going to use in golf um, and I think you know that's that sets the, the basis for my golf swing but I think what is lost a lot with golfers that are eight, nine, 10 years old that never play any team sports is, you know, being on a team, being coached constantly, uh, the ups and downs of winning and losing um, and, and such. So I think some people lose that. And I work with a lot of junior golfers who then end up playing college golf and they're now literally on a team environment where the coach is telling them to wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning to go to workouts and, and sometimes they don't transition well because they're used to their little individual sport all the time. Um, so I was fortunate that, yes, it helped me athletically. But I think playing you know, football, I played high school football, and, and you, you go through the ups and downs of that. I think it toughened me up um, for when I did play golf in college. So it, it was both athletic but also the ability to be on a team and having a coach that was always on you. And Rick, you talked about uh, going up to Cal State Northridge and walking on there, and you actually earned your doctorate in applied sports psychology. What fascinated you about that, and what drove you all the way through to getting your doctorate? Well, I think if <laughs> if you talk to people why they get obsessed with certain things, it's actually to help themselves first. So I definitely needed to learn a little bit more about my mental skills, playing competitive golf at a fairly high level, and not be able to take it to that next level professionally. I saw a blind spot for me, and it, it was a mental game. And it really wasn't in other sports, to be honest with you. I, I felt I was, I was pretty solid. But when I played golf, you know, I, I had a hard time dealing with frustration and dealing with bad shots. And, and then that brought down uh, my confidence, and I had a hard time focusing under pressure. And it was just, honestly, it was just with golf. And so going down that road and understanding my own uh, faults and my, my own weaknesses. Um, I also saw that as I was teaching golf, I became a member of the PGA, taught full swing, traditional golf instruction, but I was seeing some, what I call talented players on the range, you know, they're going through a, a lesson. I'm going, man, they're, they're playing well. I'm excited for them to go get on the golf course. And then they would come back and say, Rick, I shot 85. I go, how the heck did that happen? I mean, and so there was a disconnect I would see with performance is that people mechanically had sound swings they had all the fundamentals down but they weren't able to translate that when they went on the golf course so that was another reason for me to kind of get obsessed with hey you know where, is there a mindset thing is there you know distractions doubts uh, emotion things that are getting in the way 
of somebody playing their best golf. And so I pursued that and I continue to say I pursue other elements of the mental game to, to really learn that and learn about how somebody learns and how they interpret going out and play under pressure. Eric, that's such a great point, right? I mean, I think all of us deal with the frustration after a bad shot or a series of bad shots. Our mindset starts to head south. Doubts are in our minds. And, and you know, I, I think golf is, is one of the biggest sports for negative self-talk. We talk about this all the time <laughs> on this show, right? You know, we get down on ourselves. We, we curse ourselves. We tell ourselves, you know, how bad we are and how stupid we are and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Taking what you learned and in, in your experiences, talk about how can we do a better job of kind of letting go of the last shot or the last few holes that we've sure. doubled or, or what have you and move on and get back to having a good time and having a positive mindset. You bet. And, and, and that's a key thing is aren't we supposed to be playing this game to enjoy it? And I think managing our emotions is the key element of that. Uh, so there's two things I would tell the listeners. First off is check your expectations. Um, I, I work with a lot of players who have unreasonable expectations. They let their ego and, oh, my gosh, I should be able to never three-putt and I should hit all my fairways, and they have all these expectations that are already setting them up for frustration. So I, so I show them PGA Tour stats, like, you know, the average uh, professional from 100 yards is 14 point, I think, 11 feet, right? Or, yeah, 14.11. And they're like, no way. They, they knock it closer than that. And I said, on average, right? And I think people have – uh, they have too high of expectations. Next thing is something I really coach a lot is post-shot routine. I'm big into learning from every opportunity instead of being critical. So, for instance, if I just snap hook a drive into the, into the trees, which has been known to happen, um, instead of saying, you stink, Rick, that was an awful swing, you're horrible, it would be, huh, that shot wasn't very good. I wonder why it went left. Was that a mental error or a physical error? Now, most people are just going to blame their swing. That was a bad swing, Rick. And I go, I get it. But I think sometimes we create poor shots because we're not in the right mental state. So how many times have we been on a tee shot and there's water on the right, so we fear right. It's don't go right, don't go right, so we snap hook it left. So we never had a clear target to begin with. We never were committed to the shot. And that stress probably created a quicker swing that led to rotating the club face close, and now I snap hook it. So I want people to learn from it. Doesn't mean you fix it, but if I can neutralize the emotion and have you move on, then we're ready for that next shot. Because I still got to go find that that ball in the tree, and I still got to be able to think somewhat <laughs> uh, smart as I make a decision of hitting out of from there. And and I don't want it to snowball. So listeners, manage expectations, but also start using a post shot routine so you learn from a shot without being critical. So let's take that in a slightly different direction, Rick, because I think what a lot of us do, to your point, is we see the trouble, right, whether it's down the right or down the left. And we immediately think to ourselves, don't hit it there, right? So we, mm -hmm. do, we do, as you say, one of two things. We either hit it there for whatever reason, or sure. we go to the extreme on the other side. Talk about be, you know, standing up on the tee recognizing there's trouble, but how do we not focus on it and focus on what we want the ball to do versus what we don't want the ball to do? Right. And, and it's a matter of when the focus changes. So 
if I'm on the tee, I do want to know there's water right. I do want to know there's a fairway bunker. I do want to know that there's trees. That's relevant information before I even pick my club. And so now I use that as relevant information going, oh, there's water on the right. Thus, I am going to aim a touch more left, and then I'm okay if the ball goes in the trees because that's not a penalty area. Now, I'm not saying I would love it to go into the trees, but I'm using these as data points. So now I go, what's the best decision for me to play in this environment? Oh, well, I'm going to hit driver, and I'm going to be center to left center, and I'm going to hit a baby draw. It's going to start at the pine tree, and it's going to draw to 10 yards from that point. So use the data at the start of the routine instead of what most people do is they go, yeah, 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 it's driver. Let's hit the fairway. Then they get over the ball, and they go, uh-oh, there's water on the right. Don't go in the water. So now they've flipped their picture too late, right? We want to have the – clarity of picture going over into the shot and of course on top of the shot so I like to ask questions a lot so as I pick the club out it becomes what does a good shot look like here well the good shot is a driver towards the pine tree with a 10 yard draw it's going to land out there 260 run out 15 yards boom and now I have clarity with my language uh, language creates symbols those words are symbols and now I'm getting it into that into my into the self-talk, but also into the focus. Get super creative with the visualization. You know, see a shot tracer, see it purple, see it with glitter and fireworks on it. Then the more creative we are with the the visualization, we're going to tend to remember that more than those other images, whether it's the the water or the trees or so on and so forth. So take the information in, but at the end, get creative with visualization. Use your self-talk to be very clear of answering what does a good shot look like here. In that way, you're focusing on what you want. And to that end, let's let's move forward a little bit on the hole from the tee to the green. You know, we get those, you know, three, four, five footers, you know, sort of those knee knockers, mm-hmm. right? And in our minds, you know, we're we're not we're not always complimentary of we I'm gonna stand up there and I'm just gonna make this. Right? It's oh my God, what happens if I miss it? And uh, you know. I may, I may be losing to my buddy. I may, I may lose the hole. I may lose our bet or whatever. All those sort of negative things come into our minds versus the positive thing of seeing the line, stroking the putt, making it, and walking on. How do we do a better job on the greens of not talking ourselves out of making those shortish putts? Well, as you already mentioned, it's everything about the meaning that we're putting to that four-footer. And if the four-footer is already um, – triggering what would happen if I missed it. Uh Uh-oh, if I miss it, I'm going to be embarrassed. It's going to be a bogey. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to lose money to my buddies and stuff. You know, you're already way ahead in the future, correct? So I like to teach focus first is what are we paying attention through better questions? So what's the speed I want this ball to go in on? Is it Do I want to pour it in? Do I want to drip it in? Do I want to hit the back of the cup? And then once I answer that, I go, oh, what's the best line to match that speed? Oh. It's two inches outside right edge. It's going to drip in at five o'clock. So now I get back to the clarity of what I want, okay? But I'm asking better questions, right? Speed determines line. Ask speed first. Based on the speed, what's my line? Some people have specific points. They have an intermediate target. That's fine. But now it's, it's a focal point that is in their control. And, you know, I want to flip it on its, on its hand, end where it's not about fear. It's about excitement. I can't wait to make the putt. This is going to be cool when I make this birdie putt, and I'm going to tell my buddies, hey, you guys owe me, right? Change the meaning of the shot will change the emotion, 
and that we're also now trying to get back into the focus, ask better questions. Rick, I want to change gears, and I, I know our listeners want to hear about your relationship with Colin Morikawa. Talk about when you guys first met and got together. Sure. Yeah, I was very fortunate to meet uh, Colin when he was eight years old um, at a little driving range uh, and course called Troll Canyon Golf Course in Glendale, California. Came up to me. He had already been in group classes for uh, the junior group. Came up to me and him and his dad, and we hit it off. Uh, very, very talented um, played baseball, basketball, and just from there on, we probably had a lesson once a week for 10 years until he went to college at Cal. Uh, through Cal, I certainly would see him here and there. And then when he turned pro, I've been out on, on the road with him uh, for many of the events. But, you know, he's, he's a special talent, certainly, but talent doesn't always mean success. And he's just a great young man who's got a, a good head on his shoulders and has had the work ethic, has had the motivation, has had the mindset to learn um, more than any junior I have ever, ever worked with. And I've worked with some, some pretty good ones. So I've been super fortunate um, to be able to work with him for the last 15 years. So at what point, and you, and you use the word special, at what point did you say to yourself, you know what, this kid's special? Yeah, I, I, I told this story where, I came home from teaching one day and I sat down with my wife and I said, you know, this Colin kid, he's got it. He's got that it factor. And that was when he was 12 years old. Now, again, I don't say it from a standpoint of, oh, he can hit the ball really well and stuff like that. He's a 12 year old, but I had not met a junior golfer who was as coachable, who was open to learning, who wasn't, you know, in a bad mood, who, who actually did what you told him. Um, it was very unique. Now, you could say, oh, he was very mature. Okay, that's fine. But never made excuses. He always, you know, moved forward. And luckily, you know, his parents were fantastic as a support system. So 12 years old is kind of where I go, this is different here. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Henrik, I, I know you helped Colin with the fundamentals of the game early on. But talk about how you've worked with him. We talk about the mental side of the game. Working with him on his confidence his emotional resilience, and, and being able to stay calm under pressure? Sure. Um, I tell people that he, he already had innate calmness in him, right? From a young age, like I said, he was coachable. He never got too fired up either way if something didn't go right. But one of my philosophies with development of a golfer is to look ahead one, two, and in his case, maybe three or four years. So, when he's a 13-year-old, we're already thinking about college, for instance. He wanted to play high-level Division One. I. I talked to him and his parents. This is what the is going to require, right? You're going to have to play in AJGA. You're going to have to where you have to get your game to this level. Um, so we always had a plan moving forward, and I would prep him. Hey, you're going to go play in your first AJGA event in Florida. We have to learn how to travel. Is your game going to travel when you're playing Bermuda? And so we were always thinking ahead of the challenges he was going to have instead of playing a tournament and go, oh, we weren't prepared. I never wanted that to happen. So we were fortunate he was able to play in a lot of great junior events. He played at Cal. Um, their program was wonderful in that it, I think it really helped support where his goals were going. Great team, great coaching staff. So, but my philosophy was always looking ahead. So at Cal, he got to play on the Walker Cup team. Well, we got him ready for that. And then a year out of pro, we were thinking ahead of when he's going to turn pro. And what are some of the challenges we're going to have? What are the things we're going to have to think about now and not have to wait until later? 
And Rick, we, we saw an example of his ability to stay calm under pressure at the Workday Charity Open when he had to sink that 24-footer to tie Justin Thomas after JT sunk that incredible 50-footer. How do you teach somebody, whether it's Colin or just one of us, you know, to stay focused because you're witnessing an amazing putt and now you think, oh my God, I got to, now I got to make this putt just a tie after watching that thing roll in from way downtown. How do you not let, you know, you're sort of, you know, hang your head and think, yeah, I I don't got a chance here. And, but rise above that, sink the putt, go right on top of it and then go on and win a golf tournament. Right. So, so one trait that I didn't talk about is his competitive fire. And that's something that I do with all my juniors golfers is at the end, I do most of my lessons are playing lessons, by the way. And so 70% of the lessons that I did with Colin when he was a junior were always on the golf course. We hit multiple shots from multiple situations, but at the end of every session, we did a competition. I didn't care if he was eight years old, 12 years old, didn't matter to me. I wanted to compete against them and see how a junior would would look at competition. He always took it on. Even though I was the pro and I was much older, he said, okay, let's go. And so I knew that he takes every situation as there's always an opportunity to win. Okay. Now his back was against the wall. JT makes his 50 footer. Great. But he's always looking ahead like, okay, this is what I love competition. And he doesn't shy away from competition. Uh, a lot of talented juniors and, and some other players in our older years, we're fearful of competition. What if we lose? He doesn't think about what if we lose. He's going, hey, I got an opportunity to win. So competitive fire was a trait that he has that keeps him moving forward instead of thinking about what's wrong or what could happen if I don't do it. Rick, as you talk about, you know, looking ahead and always preparing for the next thing, I mean, obviously he went on to win the PGA Championships a few weeks later, finishes sixth at the Tour Championship after that and, he, and he's done all of these things at the age of 23 I mean, he's just a kid from a from a mental standpoint how do you keep him sort of grounded and focused you know my father always talks about you know athletes reading their press clippings right getting kind of getting a big head you're talking about looking mm -hmm. ahead how do you keep him grounded and not just sort of wow okay i've done a lot of this stuff i'm only 23 great but reaching for the next thing yeah i think there's two things i think uh, having goals is a way to look forward um, and not rest on your laurels. Uh, Colin has always embraced having goals for the next season or what he wants to do, let's say, for the next five years. So he keeps moving forward. I think the other thing you mentioned, which is, is crucial, is back to expectations, is that he – you have to talk to him, but I don't think he cares what the media thinks about him or the media thinks he should be this or that or – um, he doesn't really listen uh, because it's irrelevant, right? He, he's going to be harder on himself than any media or than any other person, including me. So he's already hard on himself. He has a high standard for himself. But I think having goals that are now back to specific of what's in his control. So we look at his stats. We look at trends. We look at what we learned uh, from this past season. How could we, let's say, get better at you know, pitch shots from out of the rock, for instance, because we know that that's an area that he can improve upon. Or maybe it's putts from six to 10 feet that we're just a hair below where we want to be. So we start breaking it down to performance-based goals, and then that gives him something to go practice. That gives him some clarity of what he's going to train. And we've always done a good job with that, and it doesn't change now that he's a top, you know, top six player in the world. Great. Just a couple more before I let you go. Now I kind of want to go back in time. Um, because I read when you were when you were at Cal uh, Cal State Northridge, 
you played out of Chevy Chase Country Club. And I think we all hear Chevy Chase and we think Caddyshack, right? It's not that Chevy Chase. It's actually a, a beautiful nine-hole historic golf club that dates all the way back to 1927, a William Bell-designed course. Talk about uh, if that was that your home course. Talk about playing there. Yeah, no, it actually was a course that I utilized for my teaching. So uh, Colin was actually a member there, and uh, I taught there for about five years. Um, no driving range, just a little net. And it, it's a cool design, very narrow golf course, a um, little on the short side. Greens were perfect, um, but a lot of undulation. So what it did for me as a coach was be able to provide so many different variables for my players. We just hop in a cart and, you know, this upslope up lie and this green and this, and be able to put people in situations. So Chevy Chase was a wonderful facility for me to me to be able to talk about mental game skills, do pre-shot routine when you've got OB right, OB left, you know? So I, I love that facility and uh, Colin developed a lot of his game there. Rick, you've written a wonderful book, Golf the Ultimate Mind Game. And boy, you know, we can certainly see why you would be an expert uh, in the field, why you got your doctorate and uh, potentially what's in this book. But let our listeners know what's available in the book and why they need to go out on Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble and go get themselves a copy of it. Uh, well, thank you. I, I wrote that book uh, about now it's about 14 years ago. It was actually my final project for my, my doctorate, and I'm proud of it. I, I call it kind of an introductory um, mental game book for golf. It uh, talks about the fundamentals, which I think are part of the mental game, motivation, goal setting, focus, emotions, uh, confidence, uh, practice, how do you prepare for tournaments. And I want people just to have a very much how they can actually apply it. Uh, I believe the mental game, there's been some wonderful coaches and wonderful authors throughout the years that have written some wonderful books. I just wanted it to be more hands-on. I wanted it to be more like, this is what I can apply today instead of me maybe being more theory-based. Um, so I want people to read those chapters. There's, there's things to do after each chapter to get them to apply these principles. And, hey, if you improve your mindset and you improve your pre-shot routine and these skills, you are going to enjoy the game more, and you're going to shoot lower scores. Rick, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website, your podcast, or no, and on social media as well. Well, thank you. Yeah, my, my website is my full name, uh, ricksessinghouse.com. Um, every now and then I do some stuff on social media, Instagram and Facebook. Usually I'm, I'm putting posts about what Colin and I are working on at a tournament site, uh, which has been fun for a lot of uh, people following Colin and myself to see his his transformation as he, he plays on the PGA tour. Um, but yeah, please, if somebody has a question or something like that, I do a lot of my mental game coaching via zoom. So I have clients all over the world, which is a lot of fun nowadays with technology. So, uh, but if somebody has a question about a mental game or something, please you know, go to my website, ricksessingouts.com and, and uh, you can connect with me there. Well, Rick, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of this show. It's been a huge thrill having you here. Learned so much, but I know we've just barely you know, gotten to the tip of the iceberg. I hope we get the opportunity to have you come back on the show again real soon. I would, I would love to, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. Rick, take care. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks again. Bye-bye. See you, Rick. That's Rick Sessinghouse, S-E-S-S-I-N-G-H-A-U-S is uh, the spelling of his last name, ricksessinghouse.com. 
is his website. Go online and check it out and then follow him on uh, on social media and check out his book. Uh, so much to learn about the mental side of the game. And uh, you guys know we talk about that a lot here on the show. But uh, he is certainly the expert for it. There's no question why he got his doctorate in it. So looking forward to catching up with uh, Rick again soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Paul Stankowski, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, beginning with our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret that pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back in making his 11th appearance with me here on Next on the TS Champions Tour Pro, Paul Stankowski. Paul's been a great guest on the show over the years and is a guy that has meant a great deal to me. First, join me back on episode number seven on June 1st of 2014. And here we are tonight on episode number 311. Always look forward to talking with Paul. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Oxnard, California and started playing golf at the age of eight. He attended the University of Texas, El Paso, where he was a three-time All-American, and he won the Western Athletic Conference Championship in 1990. Turned pro in 1991. His first pro victory came at the 1996 Nike Louisiana Open. He backed that up by winning the very next week on the PGA Tour at the Bell South Classic here in Atlanta, becoming the first golfer in history to win on the Corn Ferry Tour and then the PGA Tour in back-to-back weeks. In all, Paul has seven professional victories and 31 top 10 finishes. Like I mentioned, you can now see him playing out on the Champions Tour. And I'm very thankful to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Paul, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Always good to catch up with you, my friend. Um, but it's been a minute. Talk about uh, what's going on with you in uh, in this crazy year of 2020, You know, dealing with everything we're dealing with as a uh, as a society. What a weird year. Um, you know, everyone's going through it, though, to some extent. And, um, you know, but life goes on. I, You know, this year uh, I saw my my daughter graduate from high school. We sent her off to college. Uh, my son started his second year of college. Um, you know, I turned 50 at the end of 19 and thought 2020 was going to be a really fun year to chase around the, the PJ Tour champions. And, uh, um, yeah, and then this darn virus had to show up and throw everything, uh, <laughs> put a wrench in the plan. 
And and to that end, Paul, as you mentioned, you got uh, your Champions Tour debut. I know it probably wasn't the timing that you wanted. You, you, you finally get out there a couple of weeks ago. We'll talk about the tournament in a minute, but um, talk about uh, you know getting out on the Champions Tour. Was it painful waiting as long as you had to wait? And it, and oh, by the way, it's not like everybody. At just when you turn fifty, as long as you played on the PGA Tour, you automatically get to go play on the Champions Tour. Talk about what it takes to actually get the opportunity to play out there. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, you know, when I quit playing, um, I, I pressed pause on my career back August one of two thousand thirteen. Um, and uh, I had, you know, kind of plan B crept in, and, and that was to, to run a belt company um, that I started with a buddy of mine. And um, until August 1 of, of 13, uh, after really seven, eight months of, of trying to do both, play and get a business started, I decided to kind of hang up the, the spikes, if you will, and, and put my, my dress shoes on and head to the office every day. And, and I did that. But when I did quit uh the champions tour had um uh kind of a different qualification and and uh at the time it was if you had uh, two two or more wins um essentially you had uh, uh you could play out there with your 50 until your 52nd birthday uh under that category and and about a year and a half into my um uh early retirement or pause or whatever you want to call it they changed the rules and made it uh, made it a little more difficult and I went from being on the inside to the outside. So um, kind of picked up the practice and, and was gearing up for 2020 um, in early, about mid 2018 and, and um, turned 50 in December, actually the day before uh, the final stage of Q school, the, qualifi- the champions qualifying school started. And, and um, there, there were 80 guys for five spots. Um, and, uh, I was I was in it. I was in the top five the first 67 of 72 holes, and and kind of choked my way to the finish and made three bogeys, a par and a birdie down the stretch, and went from being on the inside to finishing two shots out, tied for seventh. And um, so that that kind of put me in a spot where instead of being exempt, um, I have uh, you know the pleasure of of getting to do the Monday qualifiers uh, each week, and and um, well. COVID kind of ate up half the season. So we've had, I think we've had six qualifying, six or seven events actually had qualifiers uh, up to this point. And I was fortunate enough a couple of weeks ago to, uh, to make my first one. I had missed a couple by a shot. Um, and, you know, it's hard, you know, the fields out there are, are full of players like myself who are former PGA tour winners. Um, and, the fields are about 35 to 50 players every week, and, and we're playing for four spots. Um, but they're still really good guys, they're really good players as well. And, and so it's uh, it's not easy. Um, there are no guarantees, and, and I was very fortunate to uh, to string together some some good holes and and uh, and actually get uh, get through uh, and get able was able to to get inside the ropes finally for the first time uh, out there on the Champions Tour. Uh, with all my old friends and guys that I'd played with for many years um, and then getting to do it at Pebble beach, which Pebble's my favorite place to play on earth. Um, I, I love, I love playing it. I love the history behind it. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think I've played probably 75 rounds of golf, maybe more there at Pebble beach. And it's just something to it. So to make my, my, uh, 
you know, first start out there at Pebble, um, flew my son into caddy for me. And, and it was, it really was a dream week, Chris, you know, I, I didn't win. I finished 45th, uh, but I felt really good about the way I, I hit the ball tee to green. Um, I felt really good about the way I, I uh, internalized uh, my, my golf for the week. I, I felt uh, a great peace out there, which, um, you know, the first few times, you know, Q school, like I say, I, I, I really felt the pressure and, and choked down the stretch. Um, I felt some nerves in a few of the Monday qualifiers down the stretch. And, and so, you know, not playing for so many years um, and then all of a sudden trying to get the sticks out. One thing, the, the swing of golf club is, well, I, that's what I've done my whole life. But, you know, then you start putting the pressure on and, and you have to rethink, like, remember how to do that under, under pressure. Remember how to how to uh, kind of put the um, the distractions away, kind of how to narrow my focus back on, uh, you know, the object at hand, which is the shot in front of me. And um, it's been a, it's been a process, uh, one in which, you know, I'd love to say is, is enjoyable, but, <laughs> you know, on one hand it is because I'm learning um, and I love, I love learning. I love getting better, um, but it's high stress. And, and uh, uh, but all that to say, it's, it, it's been a, it's as crazy as, you, as this year's been for everybody. Um, you know, a lot of things that you know, I, I was able to be home for for uh, you know months at a time, which I haven't done that uh, in the entirety of my marriage, 27 years. Um, and uh, so that was great, uh, getting to be home. Um, you know, I got to the point where I did miss the smell of jet fuel a little bit. Um, <laughs> I like to, I like to travel, but but uh, so it's been it's been weird. But you know, during during the whole COVID deal, I was able to get out. Uh, well, while the golf courses were closed, I actually bought a, a net uh, and a mat and started practicing in my backyard. Um, and uh, you know, once our courses opened up here in, in Dallas, I, I spent pretty much every day, and I really have, um, you know, for the last four or five months, uh, just. Swinging the golf club, trying to be ready for when when the bell rings, whether I Monday qualify or or I get that that really cool phone call saying that uh, I'm getting a sponsor invite. You know, those are the two things that as a as a professional athlete right now I'm kind of holding holding on to is you know I want to be ready when the bell rings and and um, so yeah so I you know I think all in all it is as sucky as it has been uh, in in terms of uh, quarantines and lockdowns and masks and and you know, the, just everything that comes with it, you know, there's been a lot of, there's some silver lining out there that, that uh, I need to continue to focus on. And, and uh, so I'm grateful through it. And Paul, you, you mentioned that being at peace and getting back together with your old friends and all of that. What was it like emotionally, you know, stepping to the first tee of your first champions tour event, nervous, Are you, were you prepared for it? Was it what you thought? Talk about teeing up for the first time out there. Thankfully, you know, the qualifying was on Tuesday and the tournament started on Friday. So um, in my car heading to um, to go get COVID tested um, after I qualified, um, I, I was definitely I had some tears shedded. Um, I was I was emotional. It, it, it was. Um, it was kind of a dreamy scenario, you know, that, that I finally, I'm finally getting my chance, right. To, to play. And, and, um, and like I say, again, at Pebble beach. And by, at that point, we'd already, my wife and I already decided that, um, 
that, you know, Josh can miss some school and, and come and, and, and caddy. So I was so eager um, uh, to play and <clears throat> I was actually um, convinced that I was going to test positive for the coronavirus just because that, that would just be fitting, <laughs> you know, and uh, not because I felt bad or anything, but I was like, you know, sure enough, I qualify, I'll probably get, yeah, you know, test positive. Uh, but thankfully, you know, I was I was negative, and and uh, and then flying Josh in, he was negative, and so we were able to play a practice round on Wednesday um, just by myself. We played through VJ on one hole, but it was just me and Josh cruising around Pebble Beach in the afternoon, um, and then Thursday morning, I actually I played with uh, Lee Jansen, Scott Perel, and Ratif Goosen, and so it was fun to to actually get paired with some some good players again, and and. Um, and that was cool. And so come come Friday, um, I had a piece about it. You know, I was I was probably more nervous than I had to tee off on ten at Pebble because ten is a much more difficult starting hole than one uh, at Pebble Beach. And and so you know you have to get in, sh- in a cart about thirty minutes before your tee time. And uh, and I had a eight ten tee time, so it was already early in the morning or eight twenty whatever it was. And so you know. Us older fellows, Chris, you know, it takes it takes a while to warm up, and it doesn't take very long to get stiff again. So I was more nervous <laughs> about just having to tee off on ten, and and you know the Pacific Ocean's just sitting over there to the right, beckoning, and and uh, uh, but it but it felt good, you know, to put the tee in the ground and to to hear my name called again, and and um, I had a tee shot hit through the fairway in the bunker, and and uh, but I was off and running, and it was. Uh, you know, everything I, I should kind of use all the the little the things I've learned over the years with the different um, sports psychologists or, or different guys that I work with on the mental game, um, just to kind of go through these checklists. Okay, you know how, how to I gotta slow my I gotta slow everything down. Uh, and I actually had in my playlist uh, my pregame playlist that I, I listened to on the range warming up um, the last song. Uh, on that playlist is uh, called Slow Me Down. And uh, it's written by a, a guy named Robbie C. Um, and it was, uh, it's just a, a sweet, a sweet song. Um, just about, well, it, it's a, it's a, uh, yeah, about slowing down. And uh, I didn't want to get ahead of myself. So I really did felt a piece out there on the golf course. And, and uh, like I say, getting inside the ropes again, having shots that matter, um, on the big stage, you know, for the old guys, um, it was, it, it was, uh, it was awesome. I, I, I had, like I say, I had a handful of times early in the week where I got emotional, um, just, you know, even walking the fairways in the practice round with Josh and, and just looking over at him carrying the bag. And it was just it, such, such uh, joy in my heart. Um, you know, I lost my dad a year ago this week, actually. Um, and so I knew that he would have been thrilled, um, to, you know, get to watch me play. So I I knew that wasn't going to happen, but it was, so there's a lot of emotion going through there and, and, um, you know, looking back at the week, um, it was, it was awesome. That's all I can say. So obviously the iconic course at Pebble beach and the holes that, you know, we've all grown to know so well. And, um, Getting back out, I'm just curious. 17, standing up on that tee. What, what were the, uh, what were the playing conditions like? And uh, did you get gusty winds? And talk about the, uh, the strategy and the difficulty 
and playing such a relatively short par three. Yeah, no, thankfully uh, this week the wind was um, was gently at our back and gently off the right, so it couldn't have been easier. <laughs> you know, I've, <laughs> I've, uh, it's a hundred and you know the pin day one was back left. Um, uh, it, I, there was a front a front pin and a, and a back right pin. I can't remember which days they were, but um, but it's only you know the whole play between like ninety three and a hundred and six yards or something like that. And, but it's downhill, it's downwind. And, and, you know, I chipped a little 56 a couple times and hit a 60 the last day. Um, I've hit five iron off that tee before. So, uh, you know, anytime the wind blows toward the water there, um, things get a little challenging. Uh, when it starts blowing 30 miles an hour in your face, that's when it gets pretty scary. But when you have a gentle five to 10 at your back, um, and you just have to hit a little sand wedge. It's it you know the, the hole itself. If you if you're smart enough to aim it in the middle of the green, it's it's a pretty big target. <laughs> but uh, you know you want to take on that back left hole location and you pull it a little bit, uh, it, it uh, or back right and you push it. It, it leads to some some high stress and, and uh, some bogeys. But um, yeah, it, it's the, the the conditions for the week. The golf course was in spectacular condition. Um, the greens were just a touch slower than they, they usually were for the AT&T. Um, and so they were, you know, probably 10 and a half on the step meter, nothing fancy. Now the greens, they have a lot of slope anyway to them. So, uh, they don't have to be stupid fast, but the, uh, the winds were, you know, five to 15 all week. Sun was, sun was out a couple, a couple times the fog rolled in, but it was Pebble Beach. It is, it, for the listeners, if you've never been there, I mean, it's, it's a, there's two places on earth that when I, when I show up, um, there's just a peace and calm uh, that come over me and it's Pebble Beach and it's Dove Mountain up in, in Tucson. Um, they're, they're, they're both obviously completely different. One's on the coast and one's in the mountains in the desert, but um, they're, they're, yeah, Pebble is just, uh, it's amazing. Holes four through ten are my, my favorite stretch of golf uh, it, on earth. It's just I, I've taken, I think I've taken the same pictures um, over and over and over every year. You know, on the same holes, and and it's uh, yeah, it's such a great place uh, to, to just to play golf, uh, to have fun. Uh, even better to to play competitive golf, and even better yet to play against the best of them in the world. So all in all, Paul, I'd say you had a pretty solid first tournament out there. Are we going to get to see you more often in 2021? You know, um, I'm going to go I, on October 5th. I'll be trying to qualify for the SAS, which is in uh, North Carolina, outside of Raleigh. Um, so I'm hoping to play there. The golf course, Prestonwood, um, is, is really good uh, where they have the, the actual tournament. Um so, I'll, you know, there's a shot I can play in that one. Um, I'm actually going to play on the PGA Tour in Bermuda uh, a few weeks later in October. Um, and then, uh, I'm, you know, I'm hoping I, I get a shot to play in Phoenix in the last event of the season on the Schwab uh, or on the uh, the Champions Tour. But um, that's it. You know, the season's shortening out, uh, winding down, if you will. And, and um, there's no Q school this year, so uh, – I'm not going to get to do that in December, um, but, you know, come next January, whenever the, the Champions Tour starts, I'll be 
writing letters for exemptions and sending in those entry forms for the qualifiers and, and uh, go see if I can find a way to, to earn my way uh, into exempt status out there. Paul, just a couple more before I let you go. And um, we're and in and amongst all of the craziness that uh, is 2020, the next two majors on the PGA Tour are both the Masters. So we're going to get to see Augusta National for the first time in November, so a different time of year. Um, your thoughts on a on a Masters in November and what you expect to see? I don't mind seeing the Masters every week, Chris. <laughs> it's one of my favorite tournaments to watch. Um, it, it was. Uh, I think I've only missed watching three of them, um, and that was the three years I actually played in the tournament. But uh, even then, I, I'm sure I, when I wasn't on the golf course, I had it tuned in. There's something special about uh, hearing Jim Nance and, and the, the, the music and the birds and, and Augusta. It's just a stunning, stunning view uh, on TV. So, I, you know, I, I can't wait to see it in November. Obviously, not going to have azaleas. Uh, but you know what? They'll figure a way out. They'll, they'll make it work. I, there might be more <laughs> azaleas. Who knows? Um, but it's going to look a little bit different. Um, obviously, with no spectators as well, that'll be wild. It'll be weird to not hear the roars. Um, right. I was fortunate enough to go a couple years ago, um, and Tiger was making his little run there, and, and the, the roars are – it's it's just so cool to hear there. So it's going to be different in November. And uh, But I'll be tuned in. You know, it's going to be televised, which is great. We're going to get the same – you know, bird chirps that we always hear, Jim, the silky tones of Jim Nance and the boys will be calling the, the event. And, and um, you know, the golf course might play a little softer, maybe. Uh, all I could think of is, you know, it could be, could be a little cooler, although they've had some cold days in April. Um, but November, it could be a little bit cooler, maybe a little more uh, moisture in, in the golf course. Um I don't know. I think it's going to be awesome. And the fact that we get, we get, you know, one in November and one in April again, heck yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> and speaking of calling the event, um, when are we going to get to hear Paul Stankowski call an event again? I miss you in the broadcast booth. Yeah. You know, I, the, the plan was to take this season off and, and, um, you know, I had a couple opportunities to, to jump in, uh, to fill in. And unfortunately it didn't work out where you know, I was actually playing uh and i think sass was going to be a week that, that that week i forget they're in uh vegas i think uh they asked if i could do it but um so yeah i you know i'm i'm hoping uh to get back in the uh on the mic at some point next year and you know i'm still going to be doing some chasing this uh the champions tour around a bit but i'm hoping i can find you know six to eight weeks um in there somewhere to to get back on the call i i enjoy the the uh, PGA Tour Entertainment, um, and uh, it's a lot of fun to, uh, you know, to, to see golf from that perspective. You know, it's, uh, we're still watching, and, and when, we're, when I'm working PGA Tour Live, um, you know, we're calling the action that we see, and, and uh, so it's fun. A great team, a lot of great professionals that uh, that work behind the scenes with both PGA Tour uh, Live and PGA Tour Radio. Um, I can't say enough about them, from producers to um, all, everyone who works sound and font and and just everywhere they're they're um, they're a lot of fun and they're really good at what they do so you know we just we just sit there and talk but they make it all happen so 
um, I, I look forward to getting back with that with those teams and and seeing if I can uh, you know help make uh, golf sound a little cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, you do. You know, I can't let you go without asking you about your Dallas Cowboys. How you feel about this season? Been a couple of tough losses and a and a miracle comeback win against the Falcons. How do you feel about your boys? Well, we're still hurting over uh, our Dallas Stars getting eliminated last night. Um, it was a, a fun Stanley Cup Finals. It was great to see us back in, but uh, um, that one hurt. But as far as the Cowboys go, yeah, you know, obviously the win against Atlanta was um, was shocking um, the, to come back uh, like they did to actually sneak out the victory. And you know, I think on on paper, I don't. I think everybody pretty much predicted that Seattle was going to win the game in Seattle. Um, but, you know, they, they made a run. I, I Unfortunately, I was flying back from the Napa Valley Sunday, um, and I didn't get to watch uh, much of the game. But from, from what I understand, my son said that they took a bunch of bad penalties, and, and um, but they still had a chance. So I think, you know what, this is a good team. It is. We said it. We've, we've now said it for the last, what, 13 years and we finish eight and eight every year. So um, one of these, one of these days I'm going to probably wise up and say they suck and then they'll probably win the Super Bowl. But, <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think they're, I think they're good. You know, they're, they're a good team, obviously a new coach trying to find them, you know, understand the, the, the system a little bit and um, you know, but Dak's a, a more than capable quarterback. I think he's shown some, some brilliance to throw for 400 and however many yards he threw against Seattle, a defense that, isn't very uh well they're pretty stingy historically so um that's good our white house the cd lamb kid is uh man he's he's the real deal i think but with cooper and lamb and galloway and then you got um um well zeke is well he's not too shabby either so um if we could just figure out our, our defense that's kind of that's kind of been the uh the achilles heel if you will giving up big plays you can't give up that touchdown uh, that they gave up late in the game, um, making Russell scramble around, and then he throws that little 30-yarder on third and three. Um, you know, that hurts, but it seems to happen far too often. So um, I, I still have hope, though, Chris. I still have hope. <laughs> Good for you, Paul, as you should. Paul, before I let you go, you've mentioned uh, your business, but uh, let our folks know about Francis Edward and uh, what you're doing and how they can follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Well, yeah, Francis Edward, I actually stepped, I stepped aside and, and uh, I, I sold it um, now oh, a year and a half ago. I'm still around as a consultant, but uh, and the business is still going, but um, that's that. I, uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time now uh, with Icon Golf. It's a private golf membership that, uh, I serve as ambassador of, and um, that's why I was up in, in the, the Napa Valley here the last week, spending time with our members and uh, playing golf and drinking some good wine. And um, but yeah, Icon Golf is is uh, is what I do um, when I'm not out practicing, and um, it's a great membership. So that's taken up some of my time, and I'm obviously still on all the social media uh, channels. But um, yeah. Uh, just play, playing a lot of golf, man. I feel like a kid. I, I don't feel like a kid when I get up because I can't, I can't move very well. It takes me a while. But, uh, but it's fun. It's fun still getting to play a game for a living. 
um, even though I'm I'm still on the outside looking in, every now and then I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a shot at it, and it's uh, it's a blast. Well, Paul, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming back and being a part of the show as often as you have. Eleven times, dating all the way back to episode number seven. You've uh, you've been a wonderful guest and a fantastic supporter of the show, and I can't thank you enough for that. And I'm excited for you for the Champions Tour. I'm, I'm hoping that I get to see you out there a bunch, whether that's you know the few times you mentioned for the rest of this calendar year, and certainly a whole lot in 2021. Best of luck to you. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. For having me again, I didn't realize it was 11 times, but, uh, but you're a great host and, and you, you come prepared and, and I love it. So keep doing what you do, buddy. I appreciate you, Paul. Take care, my friend. Looking forward to catching up with you again real soon. Okay, bye. Cheers. See you, Paul. That's the great Paul Stankowski. And again, you can follow him on social media at Paul Stankowski. And, and hopefully we get to see him out on the Champions Tour and doing some great things. And like you said, he'll be out on the PGA Tour in uh, in a few weeks as well. All right, before I get to my next guest, Jack Deal, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trust. The resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen, Designed by Bill Bergen, the Cairn provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now back in making his fourth appearance with me is Class A PGA professional Jack Deal. Let me remind you about Jack's background. He's from King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, started caddying at the age of 11 earned his Bachelor of Arts degree at the University of Scranton, where he was a member of their golf team and the founder of their ski club. After college, Jack moved to Chicago, where he started playing in amateur tournaments. He's played on the Space Coast, Tommy Armour, and PGA Tours. After turning 50, he played on the Moonlight Tour. Jack has been a Class A PGA professional at courses like Myrtle Beach National, the Landfall Club in Wilmington, North Carolina, Rhodes Ranch Country Club in Las Vegas, Legend Trail Golf Club in Scottsdale, Arizona, Rio Grande Golf and Resort in South Fork, Colorado, 
Magnolia Creek Golf Club in League City, Texas, and now at Greystone Golf and Country Club in Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm very excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jack, how are you, my friend? I am doing well, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. You know what I like about coming on your show is I always get to be around these great people like Mr. Sessinghouse and Mr. Stankowski. Geez, you're really up my game just just by hanging around those guys. (laughs) You kidding me, Jack? You're at the top of the list, my friend. Goodness knows. All the great golf courses that you have been a PGA professional at across the across the country. Man, what a fantastic career you've had. Talk catch us up. What's been going on with you? It's been a minute since we had you on the show. What's what's your twenty twenty been like? Yeah, I, I've been blessed. Um just before this COVID uh pandemic I made a change to move from uh Houston, Texas area, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people really enjoyed it. But, you know, we had a, I don't know if I can say this on there. It was, uh, uh, we had a tournament called Hotter Than Hades. <laughs> and it was, it, it was in August. And it was Hotter Than Hades. <laughs> I had changed that word. I, I'm glad I thought of it. But uh, uh, now I'm in Birmingham. And, you know, I moved here in the middle of the night. Well, I arrived here in the middle of the night. And I'm driving this big, box truck with a trailer and I'm looking to the left and there's nothing there. It's just darkness. And I find out the next day that there was a cliff. All I had to do was just catch an edge like in skiing. And man, I was off the cliff. I was toast. Wow. This is a beautiful area. I had no idea Birmingham was so gorgeous with all the mountains and the ravines and the, the, the changes in, in, in uh, like I'm trying to say altitude, but just the changes in the topography. Uh, Greystone has has holes that go up and down hills. We didn't have that in Texas and Florida and those places. It's awesome. So yeah, Jack, let let our listeners know about your new home course, Greystone Golf and Country Club. It it hosts the region's tradition, which is a major out on the Champions Tour, and you've got two distinctly different golf courses there, right down to the different types of grass on each course. Talk about uh, what you've got there. Absolutely, the legacy, which is uh, Zoysia, Zoysia Fairways, and it's, it's, I mean, it's when you drive down the fairway and the, the golf cart wobbles left and right. It's uh, quite an experience. You think there's something wrong when you go down the first hole, and by the time you get to the third hole, you really don't feel it. But it's an entirely different golf course, as you said. We've got members that just like to play at the legacy. It's a warmer, it's a smaller clubhouse. And everybody, you know, all the members know each other anyway. We're a very friendly uh, facility uh, club. Um, it's And that's the best part of, of, of all of the golf courses. The founders, which is back to Bermuda and that sort of thing, and uh, the old-fashioned the old uh, golf course, which is where they play the regions, uh, that golf course is, is, is just what it is. It's, again, a beautiful clubhouse that has weddings and, always has something going on, whether it's uh, having popsicles outside, selling popsicles outside just to get people to come out and have fun. And I think that's the thing that, that, that the one thing i got to say about having been there since only February is that they adapted. They did incredibly well. Instead of saying, okay, well, you can't go out, you can't come to the club, tell you what we're going to do. We did grab-and-go dinners. We're still doing We were doing 80 grab-and-go dinners plus per night. And the members wow. would stop by and take it off. I mean, it was just amazing. And 
you know, that, that really helped the club, and that's what they were doing. They were supporting their club. And we came up with an idea of, uh, uh, I guess it was, was uh, one of the, one of the, the members of, of, the, of the committee uh, came up, the Board of Governors came up with an idea that why don't we do Sunset Cruises? So when we had one golf course open and the other one closed, on the closed golf course, we had Sunset Cruises that you would go out with your golf cart and we'd give you a little something to drink on the way and maybe you'd bring some tapas with you and go out and have some fun and just a romantic little cruise around the neighborhood in the golf course. I mean, and we ended up having people that were social members really enjoy the golf course and consider changing their membership to golf membership. It was fantastic. And, you know, we've been blessed. We've taken on everything that was thrown at us and we've remained open and we've been doing, I, I don't know the numbers, but it's got to be close to 150% of what we've done the year before. Uh, we've just been busy as can be, and the members are loving it. Uh, we had a challenge with the Regions tournament. We we're really missing that terribly. But, you know, we rolled with the punches, and this past weekend, which, which one, of, one of my members says, geez, I'm going to go play golf. Uh, since Freddie's not here. <laughs> and I was like, who? <laughs> oh, yeah, it would have been the Sunday of the region. And we had just finished having a member-member, the inaugural fall member-member, where we sold out in like a half an hour. And everybody wow. had a great time. We, it was the first time the members played to the same idea and the same rules and the same setup and the same contest as our member guests. And they and they they loved it. And our member guest, by the way, is the largest member guest in the state of Alabama. Wow, that's impressive. So, so Jack, you've got such a great layout there for for people that I mean, not not a lot of memberships get an opportunity to play on a golf course that that hosts a major, right? I mean, there's only so many of those. Talk about right. the members that actually get to go out on the Founders Course and get to play. When I was looking at the golf course online, it, it essentially looks like you could host a major at a moment's notice. So if the regions were, were to get rescheduled or what have you, right, that that course is always in championship shape. Talk about the opportunity to go out there and play that on a weekly basis. Well, it's amazing. Our, our crew, that our maintenance crew is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Brody and Hunter and the rest of the gang that are working on it all the time. They're just amazing the way that they are up taking care of things we make a call on the radio and they're johnny on the spot taking care of it you know a lot of places will will scratch up a certain area just off of a cart path and throw some seed and hopefully maybe some of it will take this place doesn't fuss around they go right over and just put some sod in inside that area and make sure it gets plenty of water and it grows and it it thrives uh, it's just a great golf course and the people that come there our membership, and when they bring a guest, they're just so excited to be there, not just because of the regions that is being played there, but because it's in immaculate condition. Our greens roll from 12 to 13, and sometimes too quick, but it's awesome. And it's just amazing the condition that the golf course is in. And every day, we're back at it again. We have 12 locations, thin sheet locations, and so we move it around all over the place so no one area gets beaten up. Everything is nice and smooth and contoured. They, they, over the weekend, they, they cut and rolled the greens, and they were quick. 
they were, it's just so much fun. And you hit a good ball shot, you get a good result. You hit the ball in the rough, <laughs> if the regions were going to be played this September, we were thinking maybe they're going to see a little bit different golf course because that rough is a little bit more uh, uh, strong. It's, it's really thick in the fall versus in the spring when it's a little bit sparse. And, Jack, I want to get your perspective because you've been an instructor at different courses all across the country. Talk about how playing the game is different in different regions because the ground is harder in some areas. It's wetter in some areas. You get wind in some areas. You get more humidity in the south. You get a drier air in Arizona. You get you know, higher elevations in Colorado. Talk about how you have to adapt your game to fit the region you're playing in. Geez, the guy that just left, Mr. Stan Cathy, who just left the building, would have loved to answer this. Um, one of the things that I'm really a proponent of, because I really like to work on the short game, is that you have to have, like the touring professional, more than three wedges. You've got to have an arsenal of six, or you should have an arsenal of six wedges, if you can, that have different bounces, different lofts, and different setups for, as you said, that, that golf course that's a little dry versus that golf course that, that, that's a little lush where the ball sits down in the fairway. So you've got different shots that are going to be played. It's not just a question of, of moving the ball position, but it's also making sure you have the right equipment for the right golf course. And your, your, your PGA professional can help you with that. So please stop in your PGA professional and find the answers to those questions. And talk about dealing with, with distance because with different air conditions, like I mentioned, you know, desert air in Vegas and Arizona, different than maybe the thinner air as you play up in Colorado, different than the humidity that I'm sure that you dealt with in Houston and now in Alabama. Talk about being able to dial in your distance because it's going to be different playing in those different areas. Absolutely, and I was in Colorado just long enough to lose 30 yards when I returned to Houston. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just, I just stopped uh, finishing on the left side and hitting the ball hard. I was able to just cut the ball and let it fly forever in Colorado. Then you come down and you're you're down to your uh, below sea level in Houston, and it's like, well, ball doesn't quite fly there. Where did that 30 yards go? And it's been a challenge for me, and it's been one of the best things that's ever happened to me, teacher-wise, for me to go through this. And I've had to go find other guys that can help me with that. And i got to tell you, one of the guys that helped me was a, was a, a Brian, Brian Mobbs, who was a great player. And he had three tips for longer drives. And I'll tell you what, it made a big difference to me. So I was really, really happy to find some things that I needed to do. And I had been a, become a proponent of making sure that the right hip was in the right position at impact. Well, now I'm also awake. That's a great idea if you've got everything else going for you. But if you've got something like maybe you're not really posting on that left side and turning and getting that left side to kind of popping up in the ball and use, use, use the earth as a, as a, as a tool to, to, to get your legs moving into the ball, well, getting your right side in the right position isn't going to work. got to have it all together. And I guess that's the one thing that maybe your your listeners would need to hear is that, you know, when you're working with your professional, he gives you one drill to do. Remember that that drill is going to take care of one challenge you have in your golf swing. Once you incorporate that, 
it's time to go find out what's next because you've got to have a complete swing, not just what that one drill is helping you with. So, Jack, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to get some playing lessons and thoughts from you and, and really kind of going back for, for junior uh, junior students that are coming to see you because when you're looking at a new student, I know when I first started playing the game, my starter set had sort of the odd number of clubs. I had a three, five, seven, nine, had a pitch and wedge and a putter. When you start with a brand new student, are, are, do you want them to have a full bag? Do you want them to have the long irons? Do you want them to have hybrids instead? Talk about how you get a junior player to start out and what you want their golf set to look like. Sure. The uh, In the beginning, all I need them to have is a putter, a 7-iron, a 9-iron. That's going to be to the right size for them. Because all I want them to do is hit a putt, hit a putt, hit a putt, start making some, move back a little bit different, a little bit greater distance. And now we're going to go off the green, hit a couple putts, and then I'm going to change that putter. At, just before you make your stroke, I'm going to change it into a nine iron. You're going to make a putting stroke, and the ball's going to go in the air, and you're going to have one of the most defining times and moments in the golf game. You didn't go down to help it get up. You didn't lift up to elevate it. You didn't get under it, and you didn't hit down on it. You just made a putting stroke with a golf club that had more loft than your putter, and you saw it go in the air. And you got to remember that throughout your golf career, you don't have to help it. Just let the golf club do its work. Get it in a position that's at so that it can. And that's the rest of your golf game. After they've, I've been through a number of lessons with them, then we start getting into uh, uh, maybe taking it back to 9 o'clock, the left arm, a point 9 o'clock to our right. Uh, and then maybe 10 o'clock. And then finishing to 4 and 3 and 2 and then a full swing. And at that point, it's now time to go. If you can perfect the 9-iron and the 7-iron, now it's time for you to get out and start playing. And, you know, that, that doesn't have to take six months to get there. But if you don't practice, it's going to take six months to get there. And I think that's the most important thing that people should realize is that when you take lessons, you're going to improve because you're spending a half an hour, an hour with a professional that's going to help your golf game. You're going to actually practice. And just that practice alone is going to help. And then you're under a, the guided eyes of a PGA professional that's teaching professional, then you're just going to improve and improve and improve. And uh, I, I do like the kids getting into the U.S. kids sets as early as possible, but that's not always financially. And I don't like the idea of taking somebody's stiff shaft and cutting it down. But when it's just a seven iron and nine iron and you're just chipping, it's okay. After that, you like the game, it, now it's time to, to to go feed that desire to play the game of golf and to keep the child's interest. And, Jack, as you mentioned, taking that putter and putting a nine iron in their hands and, you know, letting the loft of the club get the ball up in the air and we're not scooping it and all that sort of thing, right? One of the things I know when I was a junior player and, and some of the things my father and my instructor uh, put into my head is let the club do the work. Let the club get the ball up in the air. Let the club, you know, hit the distance. You know, you don't try to kill it and, and that sort of thing. Well, now we see Bryson DeChambeau, and that's all he's doing is trying to kill it. Is it – has the game and the instruction changed? Is he forcing the change? Talk about how it's sort of a different game than when – at least when I was a kid, maybe when you were a kid as well, um, how that instruction has evolved to what we're seeing now. 
Yeah, I, I know he's going at it as hard as he can, but I don't see him, you know, doing a happy Gilmore, starting five feet behind, running up to him, and maybe he gets two <laughs> miles an hour movement, you know, by, by, by doing that. I think he's still within the realm of, of, of teaching himself. I think he's, he's a lot more controlled than he's willing to say he is. I, I remember when Tiger used to grunt every once in a while when he used to hit it, and I, I just thought that he was just showboating. The ball was already gone when he grunted. I just thought that, you know, he had a good swing and he felt good and confident and he felt he could do that. I think he was amazing because one of the things I cannot do is I can't start the downswing and stop. He can do that. I could never do that. Um, you know, there's different different talents that, that you find in a child, in a teen, in an adult, in a senior that you need to work on. You know, um, one of the things that, that people talk about is, and I, you know, I think everyone knows that uh, uh, Dustin Johnson worked on his wedges because it was a weakness for him. Well, I guess that's good. But I really think sometimes, especially when you're first starting, to work on the things that you're good. If you're good at driving the ball, go get yourself and start hitting some drivers. If you're good at chipping the ball, which is really important, get yourself into hitting the chip and loving the chip. Loving the short game, loving the putter. Whatever it is you're good at, make sure you get some some pats on the back about. And then at that point, start working on the things that maybe need a little work. Just remember, he was, he'd was he already won a number of times before he started worrying about his wedge being so bad. And now it's not so bad. Right. And Jack, one of the, one of the sort of things that uh, that we need to develop is a pre-shot routine. How do you take your students and help them develop what's going to work for them and their pre-shot routines? Oh, Chris, I need your help because I can't remember the name of the tournament that that Billy. Uh, oh my gosh, can't remember his name now. Billy Herschel uh, won it. Billy Herschel, yeah. Uh, he was. If you watched his golf swing, you could see the shots he was about to miss because of his 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 takeaway and his, and, and his. And his pre-shot routine, he got a little quick, it got a little outside, it got a little open, not on the same swing, but each time that he missed, you knew it was going to happen before he even started down towards the ball. The pre-shot routine is so important. You've got to sit there and you've got to make a, first of all, you've got to commit to the shot. You've got to understand what you, why this is the shot you're going to play. And even if it's the wrong one, you've got to commit to making it happen and making it work. Sometimes things don't, everything isn't exactly the way you want it. A perfect lie, a right-to-left shot instead of a left-to-right, which is your bread and butter. You've got, or maybe you just got to hit it straight. You know, you've got to figure out the shot, envision it, say, yeah, that's what I'm going to make happen to this golf ball. Visualize it, feel it maybe in your pre-shot where it waggles, which I think that's what he, he did. And then... Let it happen. You can see when these guys under pressure how sometimes they got a little quick and they ended up not as happy as he wanted to be. I don't think that he necessarily missed the green, but he didn't get it closer to the hole. It didn't move the way he wanted it to because he was a little bit anxious. So get rid of the anxiety. Let everything happen the way it's supposed to and decide on your pre-shot routine. And the most important thing, I think, is make sure it's always the same and it's always the same time. I think somebody came out with and time Tiger to two point some seconds 
that he's over the ball when he's punting or whatever it is. You know, every time you want to be the same so that you're using the same golf swing every time, the same putting stroke every time. I think that's really big-time stuff. Once you've got a golf swing that's repetitive, now you need to have a pre-shot routine. And let's take that a half a step further, Jack, because you talk about committing to the shot. And I think that's where a lot of, at least we amateurs, we weekend hackers, go wrong. We're, we're indecisive. The next thing you know, we're decelerating, you know, on, on whether it's the putt or even, even on our chip shots. And uh, the next thing you know, we're chunking it, we're blading it, you know, we're, we're sculling it, whatever. That is something that I think that, that we need help with is um, being decisive and just whatever the shot. And you said this a moment ago, whatever the shot is, you're going to decide to try to hit. Just go ahead and hit it because that indecision is going to lead to the bad shot that you've already envisioned in your head. Oh, my gosh, is that right on? I mean, how many times – and you don't have to be an amateur. You can be a professional on tour. You get to the top of the swing and you start down. You're like, oh, my God, is this – what's up? Uh, what? Red alert, red alert. <laughs> and then you, hit, then you hit the ball and you say, oh, my God, look at that. It's going where it's supposed to go. And you don't know how it happened. And other times you do everything absolutely right. You feel solid through the whole thing. And there it goes. Off on its own. It's like, it's like, is that a golf ball? I wonder if it was supposed to happen. And, you know, that happens in life. And golf is the closest thing we have to the game, closest game to the thing we have that's life, I think. And whatever you decide to do, do your best at it, and then let it go. And then go to the next shot and do it again. If you keep on playing, you're going to hit a good shot, and it's going to suck you in the plane again. And that's a good thing. Because this game is awesome. You make friends, you make acquaintances, you can get involved in business with it. You get people will know whether they like you, just don't get to know your personality. This game's awesome. But by all means, just keep playing. And the committing to the shot is really important. Um, but don't fret if you don't do it. Just work on your mental side and, and try to commit and then try to make it happen. Don't try to change things at, the, at, at, at impact. Just let things go. And remember one thing, this is supposed to be fun, and that we're playing golf. I know people like to use golf as a verb, but I like using the term playing golf because it reminds us that this is play and it's fun. That's Yeah, that's great advice right there. And, Jack, just a couple of more before I let you go. And one of the other things a lot of us amateurs do that gets us in trouble is we have a million swing thoughts. You get behind the ball, and I got to move this, and I got to you know keep this in. I got to tuck that over, and I got to get this back, and then I got to keep my head still, and you know all those things kind of going through our minds that make the the game mechanical, and we get ourselves confused and that sort of thing. What do you tell your whether it's your junior players or just anyone coming to get instruction from you? Is there a swing thought? Is there one swing thought? What do you try to tell them to do? There, there are books called Swing Thoughts, <laughs> and it, if I remember correctly, I have one around here somewhere in the paperback form, and it was a conglomeration of or a collection of swing thoughts that the person had the week that he won on tour. Now, I'm sure that they use that same swing, swing thought other weeks and were not as successful as that week when they won. 
But the one thing that does happen when you have one swing thought that you're thinking of, whatever it is you and your coach and your PGA professional come up with for you, that you stick to it and you feel the progress in your golf swing and your golf game, whether it's relaxing or whether it's getting excited or whether whatever it is that you all come up with, oh, my gosh, I said y'all. I haven't been in Alabama that long, and I'm saying y'all. <laughs> or whatever you come up with, I mean, stick to it. You can always change it for the next round. But for right now, let's see how this works. Because if you don't follow through, you're never going to know where you are. And I think that's something that's really important. I mean, you've got to know uh, I'm 5'5". Five five. I'm not going to be the center. At a, at a, and, 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 I mean, it's going to be really short people if I'm the center in a basketball game. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. i got to be the guard. i got to have a three-point shot. If I have a three-point shot, then that's my strength, and i got to go to it when I'm open, when it's the right time. Otherwise, I dish it off and get it to somebody else, and I get the assist. You can't be what you're not. You've got to know what you are. You've got to find out what your strengths are, and as I said before, and work on them and get really, really good at those. And eventually you work on the things that you're not so good at. Uh, grabbing rebounds was all about boxing out for me. <laughs> Everybody was going to get up there higher than I was. <laughs> Well, Jack, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. The thing, one of the things, one of the many things I love about you is how enthusiastic and positive you are. You alone make the game more fun, and I can't thank you enough for doing that. I'm sure your students feel the exact same way. Let our listeners know, how can they follow you and stay up to date with all the great things you do? Well, I, I, I am on Facebook, but I really don't have an online presence beyond that. It's just Jack Deal. Me and my puppy dog, we're over there all the time. Um, and I'm at, I'm at Craystone, so my, my focus is 100% on, the, on the, the, my team at Craystone and my members that we need to take care of and find another way to make the place even better. Um, that's what we do. We, we challenge ourselves every day to find another way to, to make somebody smile and to make somebody happy and that's what it's all about. Make sure they have fun so they want to come back and do this again. Uh, I love it when someone says, hey, I, I didn't realize that, that this golf course, this golf was so much fun. I've been a house member, and I want to play. And, that, you know, that's, that's really awesome because this game has been so good to me. It's had me meet so many people like Dave Kirkendall and, and Steve Smith at, at Craystone that I, I would have the ability and the, oh, I've been able to come down here and, and join them and, and work with them. It's fun. And I love it. But other than that, I really don't know how to get in touch with myself except for Facebook. <laughs> so that's, I have a hard time getting in touch with me. I, I, I'm not in touch. But uh, I always love coming on your show. You're a wonderful host. You're always totally prepared. You know, I always find out something new about me. And then uh, you're always fun. And I like having fun. Oh, and you make this show fun every time you come on, my friend. I can't thank you enough for that. I hope uh, I get the privilege of catching up with you again real soon. In between now and then, stay safe and keep uh, keep people coming into this game because I think everybody I will, you touch one last shout out. does it. Yes, sir. One, one last shout-out. Sorry to, to our friend Jack Curry, who just had a birthday on Monday. From Indeed. Yeah. Happy birthday, Jack. I hope you're listening. I will be here too. Chris, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, Jack. Take care, my friend. Stay safe out there. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Very good. Bye-bye. See you, Jack. 
That's the great Jack Deal. Uh, D-I-E-H-L is how you uh, spell his last name, and uh, you can find him. And his he talks about his pup, Fanny. And you, you got to go check them out on Facebook and give uh, give Jack and Fanny a follow. They're, uh, they're good folks. And like I say, the, Jack is a great instructor. But uh, you know, one of the great things that I love about him is just how absolutely positive he is all the time, and uh, and it's and it's uh, it's catchy. His enthusiasm is catchy. His positivity is catchy, and we need a whole lot more of that uh, in this world, particularly in uh, in 2020. Look forward to catching up with Jack again. Uh, like I say, hopefully real soon. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out to Rick Sessinghouse, Paul Stankowski, and Jack Dale for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. Next week, scheduled to join me here on the show, our, our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, will be back. One of the great legends on the tour, Chip Beck, is going to make his first appearance with me here. And the uh, superintendent of Eastlake Golf Club here in Atlanta, side of the tour championship, Ralph Keppel, will be back with me again. Looking forward to catching up with Ralph. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great podcasting sites like podcast.co, that's .co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Radio.com. If you've got a favorite uh, podcasting site, we're probably on it. I can't thank you enough, folks, for choosing to listen to the show again tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to make us part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. team in baseball also has the most saves and people who save the most money are winners so start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only ten dollars each these bonds earn a fixed seven percent apy and there's no fees penalties or minimum balance required and they can be redeemed whenever you like you can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds go to worthybonds.com backslash save that's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win 
Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.